0: Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show.
1: Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes, debutantes, nurses, Stenographers and librarians.
2: Scotland City Library, Ms. Gordon Speaker. Lopez Hair Removal, this is Jose.
1: Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No boy wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone,
2: Cape Crusader.
0: It took me three years to track down the jade gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny. It only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. <laughs> Nomen Est Stella at Hawk Est Backrow the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 177 for July M M X I X. Backgrowl to Oracle is brought to you by
1: I regret to say, sir, Batman and Robin are not at present available. What? Oh, surely you you must be jesting. Alas, sir, I am not gotham city is overcome by villainy on the comic page from the likes of the joker the Riddler, and the penguin as they run rampant only one man has the courage the gall and the skills to face the silver age hi i'm j david
0: weeder but you can call me dave if you haven't guessed this is an overly dramatic promo for my show the dave cave a batman podcast looking at the tales of the dynamic duo from the silver age Come back with me to a time when Batman was less grim, Robin was content to wear hot pants, and the villains didn't rip their own faces off. Each episode will examine a tale from the pages of comics such as Batman, Detective Comics, The Brave and the Bold, and World's Finest Comics. It's all the bat action, bat adventure, and bat puns that you can handle on The Dave Cave, available at thedavecavepodcast.com, iTunes, or the podcatcher of your choice the dave cave batman podcast because in the silver age there were no limits
1: holy unsatisfying ending
0: Back of the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. MileHigh Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, MileHigh Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHigh Comics. Dot com. TGI summer, am I right? Man, I am living it up. I can do my own schedule how I want to do it. I wake up, unfortunately, my body doesn't let me sleep past like eight, which is it's unfortunate on some of those days that I'm really tired the night before. But you know, I read for a couple hours. And then I watch maybe a couple episodes of something. Then maybe I'll go on a walk or work out. Maybe I'll rinse and repeat the reading, the watching. And then I'll, I'll go on a walk later at night once it's cooled off. But it has just been it's been very enjoyable. And I just feel like the stress from the previous school year has sort of washed off. Even though I've, I've got some heavy academic readings to do. Because I did get accepted to a program over in Italy. And the theme every year for this program is what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem. So this idea of pagan or classical philosophy and its intersection with Christian philosophy. And then the sub theme for this particular term is virtues and vices. So I've had to read number one, the book. A book, sorry, a book by the man who actually leads the whole thing, and then I there have been other readings throughout, and of course, I could just wait and, and do it when I'm supposed to, which is the night before we talk about it when we're over there, but I thought, I'm going to do the majority of it now, and then just sort of refresh or skim over, and actually just finished all of my readings today, so now I have a free week, basically, or a free seven days, yeah, it's a week, hello, of... <laughs> you know recreational reading i suppose and and doing what i want but yeah it has been a lot of fun and i've also been loving watching the the fifa women's world cup go usa and just cheering on those ladies at one point there are 3 uva alumni AE alumni on the field, and that was awesome. So, as we speak, they're going to be playing France, but this will come out after that. So, hopefully, if they beat France, they're going on to the semifinals. So, I'm pretty excited. I've got some things to talk about, just like catch up with my life because I don't do it normally when I talk to or with a co-host so i you know don't want to bore tom or anything but i've been having a lot of fun with video games recently i i guess before school ended i ended up platinum in Tomb Raider, or Shadow of the Tomb Raider. And that one was, it was moderately difficult to platinum. The main tough thing was playing it on the hardest difficulty because they take away a lot of checkpoints. So if you die, you've got to go back. I mean, depending on how far it is, you've got to go back you know, a half an hour or so of playtime, you just lost that. And so that one was tough. And there were also a couple sections that it was just, I was dying platforming. And it was like she wasn't jumping where I needed her to jump, and it was just super frustrating, but finally got that. So then after that, because I had, I mean, you know, depending on the game, platinum mean something takes a while. So I wanted some shorter games, but that were still worthwhile, and there was a sale at one point, and I got three four-to-six-hour games, Brothers of the Tale of Two Sons, Inside, and Limbo, and the last two are actually made by the, the same company. So all three of those, which they're shorter, but they're so deep with the storylines that are going on and all three of them are platforming puzzlers and all of them are thinkers, you know, brothers a tale of two sons, you've got them going on this journey to to find, seems like a miracle elixir for their father has been taken ill and these two brothers had already lost their mother, she drowned at one point and then inside you're this little boy that's trying to escape some sort of I don't know, company or government agency, and the world just seems like it's in some sort of post-apocalyptic thing, and and these people are like mind-controlled drones. And then limbo, of course, is anyone's guess, but I could, you know, you could be this little boy who's, well, the tagline, I think, is a boy goes to seek um, the fate of his sister, tries to find out what has happened, but you're like this little boy who, again, is... (laughs) In this scary world and and trying to figure that out. But yeah, so those were fun with limbo. I died so many times and a lot of them are shocking deaths because you're just like walking along and you think that you'll be fine and then something happens. And there are a couple of sections that I consistently kept dying. So I don't think I'm going to get not even going to try, actually. The final trophy was to do the whole game in one sit-down, which is doable, but you have to die five or less times. And there's one section that I just don't think I'd be able to do it, so I'll just let them where they are. But those are – I highly recommend those. They're platforming puzzlers. Brothers The Tale of Two Sons is I would say omnidirectional. but Inside of Limbo are side scrolling but I mean I just feel like even labeling them side scrolling puzzlers you're almost doing them a disservice because there's just so much more to that and I even watched some videos discussing it and then sort of a gratuitous one that I played I just rented it was Mortal Kombat 11 I had been watching videos and seeing different things and kind of getting excited I mean I really like Mortal Kombat I it's kind of got this weird history with me that I wasn't allowed to play it. And then I had, you know, I convinced my parents that, but Mortal Kombat 2, you can turn the blood off. So it's, you know, not as bad. And seeing the film, that's got a special place in my heart. And I was just really enjoying... The, I mean, it's really beautiful. It's really well designed, I think. And then the fatalities are just so brutal, that it was always hard to watch on my phone, which once you get to the big screen, I thought it'd be even worse. But for some reason, it wasn't as bad. But I yeah, I rented it from Redbox It was like three days for $10 and had a lot of fun with that. And I think by far, my favorite character is Cassie, though, I don't think she's the strongest, because I think there are better characters out there but i just played with her the most because i had a lot of fun and her fatality is probably my favorite fatality one of them anyways she does like a super powered kick oh it's cassie cage so it's the daughter of sonia blade and johnny Cage. if if you know anything of mortal Kombat lore but she so she does like a super kick and to her opponent and kicks a hole in his or her chest and the heart flings out and then she comes around and like punches through his or her ribs and makes a heart <laughs> It you know with her hands and then like I think she blows a kiss or something through that and and there it's a freeze frame but I think it's like so gratuitously violent but I also think it's just awesome and I mean when she goes into the arena she like drops down from a helicopter upside down and like blows a bubble and is just like really nonchalant, the whole thing. I just think she's an awesome character. So I almost, you know, if I can get it on sale, I might end up getting that because I was getting pretty good. And I was attempting not to button mash because in the beginning, I was like, seriously button mashing. But then I was actually like getting to know the character, especially if you work on one, you get to know them really well. So I was working on Cassie and trying to get her down. But I recommend that, you know, if you're okay with gratuitous video game violence and just off the wall weird fatalities then that's the game for you and then the last thing is that I just got back from a second trip to New York City Uh, if you've been listening to this show a while you know that I like to take little journeys, pilgrimages to New York City about once a year. I pick a show that I want to see. And there are only a few times that I go twice. Last year I went because I really want to see Anastasia. And then this year found out about Hades Town. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm a classics teacher. I really need to. And luckily I got tickets before they won the Tony Award for Best Musical. And I ended up going by myself, which is the first time I've gone into the city by myself and It was a little lonely, but I did do some things like go to a cat cafe, and I had an enjoyable time, and I spent some time with a nice, a lovely lesbian couple, and I thought, man, this is... It's a well-rounded day today, and it was also Pride Month in the city, and so everywhere were the flags, of course, and I thought, what a lovely sight. It was an awesome time to go, and yeah, Hades Town was amazing as well, and I was wondering if they were going to be true to the tale, and they certainly were, and it was a heartache moment at the end, but I like how they come back to – you know, the fact that oral tradition and everything. And of course, even though the tale is over, it begins again. And so they started over it was not what I was expecting in terms of music because very little spoken word. I'm Just like flat, you know, talking. It was music the entire time or, or speaking in rhythm with rhyme and everything. And so I, I very much enjoyed it. And the music is so... There's such a variety. You've got blues and jazz and sort of your standard Broadway fare. But I highly recommend it. I will tell you that. And then I had a wonderful time at the stage door. I tried to get out as as fast as I could, but I was in the mezzanine. Great tickets. I was mezzanine second row, and so I could look down, and I was actually really close. What was funny, though, because I had my tickets, and I was going in to get scanned, and it was like ticket invalid, and he did it again, ticket invalid, and I was like, oh, boy, what's happened here? So I had to go to Will Call, and I, it found, I found out that a classmate and bandmate of mine, Ashley, she works there, and so I found that out because she was at the Tony Awards, and she was supporting Town. so I let her know, oh, I'm going to go see that. She, very lovely, she uh, gave me a voucher for a, a free drink or goodie at the 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 food shop, for lack of a better term there. So that was why my ticket wasn't valid. But I'm very appreciative of that. But yeah, Stager. So I tried to go out there and didn't have the best spot. But I was able to get many signatures. There were just we did have Orpheus and Eurydice, they came out, but Hades and Persephone and... Hermes, I was about to say Mercury, but it's the same thing, they did not come out which sometimes that happens just with matinees because they're going to have to do another show on Saturday and so they just stay back, but uh, I just had lovely conversations with people, there were two women on either side of me and they were talking about the death of Zaha Hadid, who's an architect and, and they were saying, you know gosh, you know, we need to talk about this because now there's not much female representation and so then I struck up a conversation with them and asked, you know if they were design professors and then I talked about the fact that I graduated from the University of Virginia with an architecture degree and we chatted about that and I hadn't really ever thought about you know architecture as not having as much female representation. you know I, I brought up Maya Maya Lynn, who of course famously designed, the Vietnam War memorial and she's still around but not much and so you know I think we focus on actresses and people that are really out there and visible and of well of course it's not visible if they're not there. so that was something to think about, but it was just really awesome to to talk to them and told them about my my classics background and stuff. So I think I talk the most to strangers in New York than I normally do elsewhere. <laughs> so it's pretty interesting but got to do the subway made a couple mistakes, but it was okay. I made it out and yeah, the the bus that was interesting. There's some drama on the way up, drama on the way back, but hey, I survived and I uh, always yeah, look forward to those trips. Some sad news, of course, before I get into the reviews is that because I'm going to this program in Italy, I am not going to San Diego Comic Con 2019 for the second year. So you can rely on Donovan Morgan Grant and <laughs> Joshua Lavin Bertoni for your news. And I'm hoping that they behave themselves because I'm usually the voice of reason. But I guess we'll see. So I'm hoping that I go back. You know, I was just thinking today that the one thing that i think i'll really regret well two things is you know potentially missing the opportunity of talking to the new back row writer but the second one is missing the opportunity of potentially meeting ruby rose because of course i feel like batwoman will be there and be represented so that would have been awesome so so there you go so that's catching you up and giving you a taste of what's to come and that's why this episode is coming out pretty early in july just because i will not be there i will not be around so So this episode is a little bizarre because I'm doing some Birds of Prey, a Birds of Prey arc, and then I was expecting to have... Margaret Scott's final issue and her run, but it's been delayed a week. And so when it comes out, I'll actually be in Italy and I can't really <laughs> do anything there. So now I guess what will happen is the August episode will have Margaret Scott's last and Cecil Catalucci's first. So weird little juxtaposition or it could be interesting. I don't know. So let's get into the reviews here. We're going to do Birds of Prey number 15. 16 and 17. So let's start with Birds of number 15, FaceTime. Writer Chuck Dixon, artist Jackson Geis, and colors Gloria Vasquez. The cover date was March 2000. The nations of Kurak and the Karakan Emirate are at war, and the media is talking about a mysterious envoy of Kurak who is on his way to the United Nations. While Oracle visits a computer exhibition to finally meet Bumblebeeb, and Jason Bard comes to Babs' home while Dick is making repairs, Black Canary is settling into her new apartment, and she quickly is concerned about her neighbor, Olivia Crichton, who seems to be a victim of domestic abuse. When Dinah hears a loud noise from next door, she decides to do something about it and breaks through the door of her neighbor's apartment. But she is too late as Olivia has killed her tormentor in self-defense. At the exhibition, Bumblebee turns out to be Ted Cord. Barbara tells him she's a police dispatcher, which is not a total lie. But when the conversation stalls, Barbara tells. Ted straight on that she knows he is the Blue Beetle. Now, Ted deduces that Barbara might be Oracle. They decide to keep their identity secret, and the rest of the date becomes much more enjoyable for the two. Meanwhile, the Kuraki ambassador has finally arrived at the United Nations, and he turns out to be none other than the Joker. I'd like a brief moment of silence now because DC Wikia no longer provides me with my synopses after that issue. Next is Burst of Prey number 16, The Joker's Tale, writer Chuck Dixon, artist Jackson Geis, colors Gloria Vasquez, April 2000 was its cover date. Joker is inside a cell somewhere with a mysterious person questioning him. He figures the person wants his origin story like everybody else, and we do get one about a boy getting beaten by his father on his 18th birthday, and then that boy kills his father with 18 stabs in turn. But what the person really wants is more detail on Joker's threat that everyone in New York City would die. Because of a neutron bomb, which leaves the buildings intact. He then explains how he got to Kurak after No Man's Land, in which he actually has the same injury after the run in with Hunters there. He crashed a helicopter, leaving Gotham, and somehow made his way over there, where he says he has friends. They have so much in common, and they gave him the run of the place. We then go forward to the press conference where Joker says that unless the U.S. drops the no fly zone and economic sanctions, they will send the missiles. No one could touch him because of his diplomatic immunity, but Power Girl and Black Canary take him down. Back to the interview, Joker thinks he's home at Arkham Asylum, but the shade goes up to reveal the New York City skyline and Oracle right in front of him. She uses his fear to get a vague idea as to where the missiles are and ignores his question as to whether he put her in that chair. Elsewhere, Dinah and Karen are standing by and Oracle contacts the Pentagon to work with the people she has been trolling throughout this entire run. And finally, Birds of Prey number 17, Nuclear Roulette, writer Chuck Dixon, artist Jackson Geiss. colorist Gloria Vasquez, May 2000 power girl uses her at the time telekinesis to make black canary fly her character goes through different power things and dinah is interested in knowing how it's done but shuts up because she would rather not ruin power girl's concentration and fall to her death they find the carrier with the missiles but oracle wants them to be sure before making a move and Power Girl tells her to get off her back and wonders how Donna can, quote, stand that witch, end quote. They quickly get confirmation when the people on the ship begin shooting, but they are too late and someone triggers the missiles. Power Girl goes off to take down as many missiles as she can, while Black Canary threatens the man with his salvation slash honor, demanding more information. He gives up that one of the five is the actual warhead. Power Girl can only take down two before she takes as much of the physical toll as possible. Now it's up to Oracle and the U.S. government. After some negotiations, they're both on the same page and work some illegal means to get down to one final missile, thanks to two U.S. carriers. The final missile is destroyed using several satellites and a pool-like bank shot. As all this is going on, Power Girl and Black Canary wait, and Power Girl tells Black Canary of a time when she failed with Oracle, and it haunts her still. Black Canary is shocked to hear she wasn't Oracle's first partner. After the city is saved, the government is overjoyed, Babs is tired, Power Girl seems less than satisfied with the win, and Joker is carted off to the slab. While the main storyline may have been Curac slash... Joker and the missiles, the fact is that there is a whole heck of a lot going on in this arc. From Babs meeting Ted Kord, to Dinah dealing with a victim of domestic violence, to Babs interacting with the Joker again, to Karen revealing she had worked with Oracle first, the missiles almost get in the way. But the missiles are actually a good way to bring a bunch of things to a head that have been building for a while, especially Oracle's Relationship with the US government. But let us begin at the beginning with the covers, first of all. So, um, unfortunately, hashtag Carolyn does not know because there are no floating heads. So, there is a floating Oracle mask. I don't know if that works. But with 15, you actually see Oracle and her Scream of sticks fighting off a potentially a kuraki man who knows and Dinah is also kicking a guy that of course doesn't ever happen but that's hey that's okay in the back you've got actually a radar and perhaps it's over kurak for 16 it's a pretty good one even though i don't like the character but you've got joker who's in shade For half of his face, he's got a Band-Aid on his forehead. And then you can tell he's behind glass. And there's a sign that says, please stand away from glass. And he says, what are you looking at? And that's very much, it telegraphs, of course, what happens on the inside. And then with 17, I really like this color just with how dynamic (laughs) <laughs> it is, but it asks where other the birds of prey? Power Girl would like to know. And you've got Karen holding this missile. And, and it's, of course, coming down towards New York City. So we've got three, I would say, maybe 17 is my favorite, but 16, I think is the most um, startling and, and powerful, potentially. Okay, so Babs finally decides to meet Bumblebeeb, of course, at a computer expo, which seems like both a fitting place but a tough place to meet someone because it's not like in You Got Mail, which I love that film, where, you know, it was at a coffee shop. The lead character had a rose and a book. It, that, that's easy to find someone. Of course she gets hit on <laughs> and there's a bit of a jerk also in the in the in the beginning and, and Barbara rolls over his foot, which it seems like it's an accident, but I also think that it might have been on purpose. But she finally meets Bumblebee and it turns out to be Ted Cord, which of course makes sense. Because the hero business and the tech and gadgetry and everything, it works. At first, the date is going nowhere because they're lying to each other to a certain extent. But then she reveals that she knows his identity, which dominoes. And I just wonder, my question would be, why did she decide to do it right then and there? It was a stale date. I think, you know, right before she was saying, you know, are you sure you only want a salad? And and he was saying, yeah, I'm trying to, to lose weight. Maybe she was just frustrated sort of putting up with the lie. But it just seems like, you know, she's already been doing it. I mean, number one, I'm surprised that she even agreed to meet him because that had been very much remember how much tension there was in the previous arc as like if i find you and you're so and so then you're going to get beat up so she finally decides to meet him and i i just feel like i don't know that she would have held everything pretty close but i think maybe the ted cord thing was what Allowed her to do it because I was trying to think like, when did she f- know about Ted Cord? And she probably has an index of Philodex in her brain of all the heroes. And so, Ted Cord, when he introduced himself, she's like, Aha. Blue Beetle, and I think maybe the intro of the date was like sussing him out, and then she decided to just uh, go for it, but I love how shocked she is that he, well, he's shocked, right, and then she is equally shocked, of course, that he deduces that, well, if you know my identity, there's only one person who probably has that Philodex, and, or Rolodex, and, no, Rolodex is a, <laughs> a watch, right, A Philodex, and it would be Oracle, so, which, you know, I guess it's reasonable did you notice when she mentions her allies that of course she doesn't want it telegraphed or televised that there is a batman on the screen behind her but if you look at the design it almost looks like batman beyond but with a blue instead of a red bat i thought that was pretty interesting the whole thing is a little awkward that she's kind of like on this blind date right i mean for all intents and purposes, that is what it is. And then you see Dick at her apartment making repairs. And you're like, wait a minute. First of number eight. And then Jason Bard is visiting out of the blue. Heavens. Uh, when's the last time that these two have even seen each other? And when did Babs get a harem? I liked seeing another gotcha moment with Dinah that I I just find it really amusing when Chuck Dixon does that this time with junk mail. She's like, oh no, and it's all this junk mail there. And we also see her heroism in less extreme circumstances with the neighbor and the domestic violence. Dinah is drawn rather sexy in this issue, but her outfits, it's really through the outfits I think that highlight her body. And I'm actually not sure how her two button shirt kept buttoned through all of that fighting. It's very interesting. I'd like to get more info on Olivia, and I'm wondering if we'll actually see the repercussions of the whole episode. We did see a news bulletin in the following issue about the murder... I guess it'd be a homicide, but I just wonder if anything will progress since she is Dinah's neighbor. A lot of interesting things are done with the Joker issue, not the least of which is how it's plotted. Dixon keeps you guessing, at least in terms of who is interviewing the Joker, and it forces you to pay attention as well since there was quite a leap from the end of the previous issue where Joker is revealed to Joker in the cell. Dixon pulls from the killing joke a little bit, at least with his multiple choice origin story, and he along with the art make an extremely suspenseful and dramatic scene when the door rises and Oracle's there in front of the Joker. He calls her a pathetic cripple and he also wonders whether he put her in the chair and I was thinking to myself, should he remember this? Because It's Barbara Gordon. And even if you don't remember Barbara Gordon, do you not remember, you know, Jim Gordon and all of that stuff and have that connection? And so on the one hand, I feel like, yes. But on the other hand, I think, you know, he is a psychopath and he does all this crazy and terrible stuff to everybody. Do you think that he would remember her. But if he doesn't, isn't it a little egotistical of him to think that just because there's someone in a wheelchair in front of him that he's the one who did that? So it's kind of it was a really interesting one-half conversation <laughs> for him to be considering. And I almost feel like with how much the, the killing joke, like the impact that it's had, I, I feel like he would remember. So I was a little bit surprised with that. My favorite thing, though, is Babs in this issue and specifically in this scene because she does not show the effect that joker has on her at all and it's it would be naive and ignorant of us to think that he doesn't have it have any effect on her she's even able to play on the sick joke that you know they're in new york city with an impending attack and she's just calm as all get out and so i just love that about her power girl and black canary team up again, which works since Power Girl has been called in before, but now it's getting more interesting because there's a clear tension between Power Girl and Oracle, and we find out that there is history. I'll take time now to talk about the sexiness of Karen. She does have a tasteful outfit, and I actually really like the the design of it, but nothing is held back, for sure, and I think I even spotted a broke back pose at one point while she's going after the missiles. I like that Dinah uses religion and beliefs to speak to the man because it's a viable threat, not going to paradise if killed by a woman. I'm also wondering what Dinah is thinking when Power Girl is saying these things about Oracle, but of course then it sort of pieces together at the very end. The conversation back and forth between Oracle and the government were my least favorite and the least easy to follow, but you're able to get the gist of it. I had to read a couple times just to figure out sort of the techno babble of it all, but... You know, it serves its purpose just setting everything up and um, showing that it's actually interesting because Oracle, of course, I said she was trolling them, right? And she's been doing sort of illegal and unethical things with their satellite. And so then they had to almost shut down because there was that thing where the two ships can't communicate with each other. And so they had to shut that down and also take a couple of the satellites and use them. And whew, yeah. So it was interesting that. The government, of course, had to do kind of the things that Oracle has been doing. Overall, this was a full story, but everything seems tied together. Even the little things that we haven't seen for a while or we don't see here, we come back to them at the end. And Dixon continues to come back to previous story points, move previous story points along, and even begin new points. So it's just a really tight story, I think, and really this... Whole book, I think, just, just feels really connected and I think it's just really strong. So I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten birds. We're well, now over to some listener emails. Melta. Melta!
2: Melt! Here. Oh. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me wanna wag my tail. When it comes, I wanna wail.
0: I just have one email this time, and it's from Michael Ridge. The subject line was answering your question about James Jr. Salway so Stella, I've listened to your interview with Margaret Scott and her comments on Barbara's brother James as a villain. In my opinion, she makes the same mistake as many authors of crime related fiction. Writers seem to believe that people with antisocial personality disorder are super efficient criminals because they have no remorse. That is why we get TV shows like Dexter and movies like Silence of the Lambs and stories like Backroll Number 33. In real life, psychopaths like James Jr. are not great at criminal activities. It is estimated that less than 1% of people could be called psychopaths, yet they make up around 20% of the prison population statistically more than nine of ten psychopaths are in jail most stories glamorize this kind of mentally ill person i think it should be different using james to threaten batgirl stability doesn't make margaret scott a bad writer all the backroll writers have used him since 2011 when he was defined as a psychopath i don't think he was interesting in any of these stories well thank you for that michael and just that information there and well as you know i don't really care for him at all so you know If he could be shelved for a little while, I would very much appreciate that. Thanks for writing in, Michael. Remember, you can, of course, send any questions or comments my way to my Gmail at backerlorical at gmail.com, or you can post it on the website under the actual episode post. Okay, well I'm gonna take a break, but when I come back, I will not be reviewing Backgirl eighty eight aka thirty-six. I guess I'll just wrap up the episode. So first up, <laughs> but before that, I've got Zias' radio hour featuring Wait For Me from Hades Town, the original Broadway cast.
1: How to get to Hades Town. You have to take the long way down Through the underground, under cover of night Laying low, staying out of sight Ain't no compass, brother Ain't no map, just a telephone wire and a railroad track Keep on walking and don't look back Till you get to the bottom line Wait for me, I'm coming i coming to, I'm coming to. River sticks as high and wide, cinder bricks and razor wire, walls of iron and concrete, hound dogs howling round the gate. Those dogs will lay down and play dead if you got the bones, if you got the bread. But if all you got is your own two legs, just be glad you got them. Wait for me, I'm coming
2: No one ever walked before
1: In the eye, that tower I try to suck you dry, they'll suck your brain, they'll suck your breath, they'll cut the heart right out your chest, they'll trust you up in your Sunday best and stuff your mouth with cotton. Wait for me. I'm, I'm coming. and strong.
0: Well, welcome back. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We're going to go right to Chris for his Cornucopia of Curiosities.
2: Uh, that's like having a working air conditioner on the hottest day of the year and having a cold drink while reading your favorite comic book. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, bad fans. Welcome once again to the Chris's Cornucopia of Curiosities segment. Thank you very much for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I am very glad to be with you today i'm covering batman adventures number twenty one and in the night watch segment nightwing number sixty one batman adventures number twenty one was originally cover dated june nineteen ninety four and had a cover price of one dollar and fifty cents For this one, we have Michael Reeves with the story, Kelly Puckett with the dialogue, Mike Parabek was the penciler, Rick Burchett was the inker, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. The Batman was created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. This story was reprinted in The Batman Adventures, Volume 3, and appears to be available on Comixology. I'm not sure if this is on the DC Universe app or not, and our story today is entitled House of Dorian. A bolt of lightning during a nighttime storm strikes a wall at Arkham Asylum, and Emil Dorian escapes. In his office, Commissioner Gordon informs Batman of the escape, and he reminds Gordon that Dorian is an evil biochemist that mutated human beings into animal-like creatures, and he may have returned to his island lab off of the coast. The Batman vanishes just as Gordon tells Batman to be careful. Wasting no time, Dorian confronts Kirk Langstrom and injects him with a modified mutagen, transforming him into Man-Bat and under Dorian's control. Meanwhile, on Dorian's Island, a man looks for Dorian. He transforms into a werewolf, back into a human, and is confronted by the giant man-cat known as Tigris. The man says he's looking for Dorian, but Tigress tells him that he's in Gotham. The man says if he goes back to Gotham and helps him find Dorian, he will take Tigress to Selena Kyle, who he still has affection for. Meanwhile, back in Gotham, Man-Bat attacks the Batmobile, causing it to crash, and Man-Bat takes the unconscious Batman to a laboratory. Later, Batman awakens, bound to a table, and Dorian sends Man-Bat to capture Selena Kyle who does just that. But now, Tigress and the man are following them both. Just before Dorian gave Selina an injection of the mutagen, Tigress breaks in. And Dorian changes his plans, and he tries to mind transfer Batman and Tigress, which will then put Tigress into the body of a human. But before Dorian can pull the lever, the werewolf breaks in and fights Man-Bat. Tigress tells the freed Batman and Selina to leave, as he joins the fray, resulting in a massive fire and explosion. The End Some side notes and comments. The characters Emil Dorian and Tigress first appeared in the episode titled Tiger Tiger of Batman the Animated Series, which was also co-written by Michael Reeves. The werewolf is never named, unless I missed it, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, please. I presume it's Anthony Romulus from the episode Moon of the Wolf. There was no editorial note where these characters first appeared, though. And if you were a new reader and never saw these TV episodes, that could leave you slightly confused. This comic book can serve as a sequel of sorts to both, with some minor incongruencies of just how Dorian wound up in Arkham to start with when he was presumably still on the island at the end of Tiger Tiger. This story wasn't divided into acts or chapters as they were in the previous issues, while Selina was dressed as Catwoman on the cover, she only appears in a short pink nightgown here, and it could be argued that she served a little more than a damsel in distress here. The artwork, though, was up to the usual excellent standards, particularly with the panels of Batman in Gordon's office, and the fight sequences with the monsters, including a nice splash page. As for the story itself, I did like that we got something tied in directly to one of the episodes of the animated series. The werewolf not being actually named gave me pause, though. Still, it was nice to see a sympathetic character such as Tigress appear again, though all of the creatures appear worse off than they were before at the end of the story. And Batman didn't do much here, other than hmm, really being a bystander. I don't mind the occasional monster story and some bonus points for the art, and a story related to a TV episode. I'll be generous and give Batman Adventures number 21 a... just... Barely seven out of ten bats. Now for everyone's favorite segment within a segment, Night Watch, where I look at the Nightwing title from a shippers' perspective. Nightwing number sixty-one is cover dated August 2019. This issue wraps up the Blackburn story arc, and there is no sign of the current love interest B to be found here. The closest thing we do have is Dick er, er, Rick Grayson saving Colleen Edwards, A.K.A. Nightwing Gold, from Blackburn in a couple of panels, but nothing really comes of it. So, with that, there is no, repeat, no, shipper alert in Nightwing number 61. This concludes this edition of Nightwatch. Hey listeners, don't forget Stella can also be found on the required reading podcast. I'd like to give a shout-out to my friends the Settlerlands. Be sure to check out Warlord Worlds, Trigger Talk, or Xenozoic Xenophiles. Great podcasts. Listeners, you can find me on Twitter at B2MBatbooks. Tweet about old Batman comics, some weekend nightstand reads, and whatnot. Hope you like it and give it a try if you're not following already. And the handle again is BTO and Books. BTO as in Beckold Oracle, and Bat Books as in Bat Books for Beginners. That's another podcast that I can be found on with my friend Jerry. And that's where we examined and review trade paperbacks and collected material of Batman and related characters. You can also find us talking about independent comic books, other titles, movies, and whatnot on The Professor Frenzy Show. Please check it out if you're not doing so already. Please feel free to leave any comments for myself on this segment or for the podcast on the TBU website. And please consider giving us a good review over on iTunes. If you'd like to lend your support to the Batman Universe website that has news, articles, editorials, and a fine family of podcasts, you can make a donation on Patreon or a one-time donation by PayPal by following the links on the Batman Universe website homepage. Thank you very much for your support. What Bat-Villain could possibly appear in the issue number 22? What double-barreled threat can the Dark Knight overcome? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast for the answers to these dual-duplicitous doings that may leave you dutifully dumbfounded next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight.
0: Thanks, Chris. Next up is my anime watch list. And boy, hold on to your butts for this one. I've got two series this time and i'm going to really complain about one of them and moderately complain about the other and to a certain extent i don't recommend either actually but you know if you want to if you want to watch them and have a discussion with me i will be happy to So first from 2009, it's White Album, 26 episodes. Can a relationship between a regular college student and an idol singer survive? That is the question that White Album tries to answer. Toya Fuji is a normal college student with normal worries, namely balancing his classes and his job he works to pay for school. He is also concerned about the amount of time he has to spend with Yuki Morikawa, or rather the lack of it. Being an up-and-coming idol singer, By the way, this takes place in the 80s. Yuki has concerns of her own. Even though she's not yet as popular as experienced veteran Rina Ogata, Yuki is turning heads and landing interviews on television. This should be a good thing, but not everyone is happy about the attention she receives from the media and from Rina The idol industry is surprisingly cutthroat and rival singers have their eye on Yuki. While it may seem exciting to watch your girlfriend on television, how does Toya really feel about all this? Between the challenges associated with Yuki's career and other people that Toya meets at his university, the relationship may not last. This was one of the worst anime series I have ever watched. And yes, I know that things exist out there like Domestic Girlfriend and scum's wish and all of that stuff but I haven't seen those I've seen this and I will say that it's one of the worst things ever so you I mean at the beginning it seems like it'll be okay like it's okay you know this guy's trying to be with his girlfriend but she's also increasing in popularity but then the girlfriend's manager says that he's gonna be in the way and so try like she sexually assaults him basically To keep him away from her. And at first he like pushes her away. But then he does. He sleeps with her. And this guy has not one. Not five. Not seven. But eight girls clamoring after him. And you know later on. I saw that there's this little. The little indication of that. It's a harem show. And I had no idea. But even after he's sleeping with. How many did he sleep with? That older woman. And then a friend of his. And he went on a date with a girl. He left that friend of his at one point for that older woman at at a restaurant. And then he went on this other random date and ended up leaving that girl for another person. It's ridiculous. Actually, I think he slept with four people. But anyways, not only is he doing that, but he's still like trying to be with Yuki. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then there seemed to be like Yuki's... You'd think that maybe the two idols actually, Yuki and Rena, would be the ones that you should follow along and, and support. But Yuki's gets annoying and then okay, so I thought okay, Rena's the character that she's his best one there. But even Rina, she betrays Yuki even though she gets really upset at Toya. She ends up making out with him at one point two. It's a ridiculous show. And at the end I don't you don't even know who he whom with whom he is (laughs) that sounded weird but that that was proper grammar it was ridiculous and you know at some point I was just like I've put in so much time in this already I might as well finish it but I don't recommend that but if you do watch it please tell me what you think The reason I watched it is because I wanted to watch White Album 2 because I'd seen a shipper bin and I thought, oh, that might be good. So White Album 2 is 2013, 13 eps. It is not – it's only related because of songs that are sung come from White Album so there you go so here we go haruki kitahara's light music club is on the verge of disbanding at this rate the third year's dream of performing at the school festival would never be realized however as his exhausted fingers drift through the chords of white album the first song he would ever play an angelic voice and mysterious piano begin harmonizing with his lonely guitar it is a momentous performance that marks the beginning of everything for haruki why to album two orchestrates Haro final semester with complex romance and exhilarating music as the curtains of the stage he so desired begin to open. You know this one was better than the first one. There's a love triangle and one of the characters has some like deep emotional issues, but then there's cheating because he dates one of them and clearly he probably shouldn't have. He cheats on her with another one. And then at the very end, two, the two of them are making out in uh, the airplane right at, sorry, at the airport right in front of the girlfriend. And then that girl flies off. And then the girlfriend, I don't know, ex who knows, was like with him at the end. So I don't even know, even though he clearly loves the girl that left. Is he still with this other girl? It's kind of ridiculous. So I don't really recommend either of them. <sighs> But White Album 2 was better. I'm hoping for some better things. I've got some on my queue that I'm looking forward to, but this was an unfortunate thing. And now I'm, I'm on a, a bit of a an anime break, but maybe I'll pick it back up and watch one thing before I sail off to Italy. Now over to my literature recommendations. I'm actually calf deep or ankle deep. Hmm... I'll go with ankle. I'm ankle deep in strangers in paradise because I ended up getting all of the trades with the exception of 25 XXV on comixology and started reading them. So what I did is academic reading during the week. And then the weekends I would read about four trades or so. And boy, this, this comic is frustrating as all get out. And I will say that at one point I thought they were finally going to get together, but then Kachu ends up sleeping with Casey and I was like you've got to be kidding me and for one thing Casey did warn Francine and say you know if you don't if you don't grab her then I will so she did warn her but she was also the one that like pushed them together so I didn't really understand that Kachu lied and said nothing happened but it did and now I think I was flipping through the next couple and it doesn't look like they're gonna be Even on the same page for a very long time So I'm just very frustrated I have six trades left And I guess Tom was right I asked Tom Can you please tell me when the two get together Just so I know And he said Volume 19, I thought, that's that's the whole series. So there I am. Anyways, so I've not been reading too much of other stuff, and I'll wait to recommend that. But I have read, hashtag Carolyn does know, at least in this case, because she recommended this, Star Wars Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnston. When Padme Naberi a.k.a. Queen Amidala of Naboo, steps down from her position. She is asked by the newly elected queen to become Naboo's representative in the Galactic Senate. Padme is unsure about taking on this new role, but cannot turn down the request to serve her people. Together with her most loyal handmaidens, Padme must figure out how to navigate the treacherous waters of politics and forge a new identity beyond the queen's shadow. I really liked this, just getting to know Padme a bit more, as well as her hand maintenance, and yeah, some politics, obviously, some adventure, and some shipping, which excited me. Then I read, which I wasn't going to, but I did anyways, Teen Titans Raven by Cami Garcia and Gabrielle Piccolo. Starting over isn't easy. Raven remembers everyday stuff like how to solve math equations and make pasta, but she can't remember her favorite song or who she was before the accident. And when impossible things start happening, Raven begins to think it might even be better not to know who she was before. But as she grows closer to her new friends, her foster sister Max and Tommy Torres, a guy who accepts her for who she is now, Raven has to decide if she's ready to face what's buried in the past and the darkness building inside her. I thought that this was okay. The art was great, and i if anyone has read this and know who the Tommy person is, because that wasn't his real name, I'd love to know. But yeah, it's clearly going to be a series, because I think they teased at the end of the book uh, Beast Boy, so kind of going one by one through these. But yeah, I thought... I thought it was fine. I mean, I wasn't like blown away and thought, oh, this is amazing. And then I also read Under the Moon, A Catwoman Tale by Lauren Miracle and Isaac Goodhart. She rejects human cruelty, but sometimes it seems as though brute force is the only way to win. And if Selena is to survive in the streets, she must be tough. Can she find her humanity and reconcile toughness with her desire for community and love? So this is... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, this one was obviously darker than Raven, and the language was stronger. Like, there were multiple F words in here. And my main concern is, yeah, I understand YA, but it didn't even have a... Label on the front of sort of parental advisory. It said it was for teens. And yeah, YA literature often does have swearing, but I just thought that this was a little much. And there were no swears in Raven, so I'm not really sure where they draw the line. And someone I was talking to online made the point of yeah, it's also bad because if kids are enticed by, or little girls, you know, are enticed by the Catwoman thing, then. Gosh, are they going to be reading, yeah, all the swears. And yep, so there's domestic violence here and some cruelty, obviously, in animals. So this one, again, was okay. Again, lovely art. I think the arts are the the best things going for these books right now. Uh, Again, not blown away, but I would recommend, you know, giving it a shot, getting it on from the library or something like that but i'm looking forward to the black canary one and then of course there should be a barbara gordon one coming out and then a cascade one so those are the ones i'm looking forward to but right now uh they've been okay Well, that is all I have for you. Remember, you can send any questions or comments to Oracle at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Oracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And be sure to support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl The Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Next month will be... Donovan Morgan Grant's audition to become my next semi regular co host. So you'll have to keep your ears peeled or open and decide whether he deserves that title. But until then, fly on, Babs lovers.
1: Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling daredevil. doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?